0: that comes right out of the can that still has the lines on it. Anybody with me? I'll eat that. Once a year, I'll eat that. It's so good. And uh, man, we just have a a lot of fun this week. But you know what? Thanksgiving isn't just about the food. Man, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? And uh, God has done so much for us. He's done so much for us personally as a church. I know he's done a lot for my family. And uh, man, if you know Christ as your savior, we have a lot to be thankful for today. Let the weak say I'm strong, let the poor say I'm rich because of what the Lord has done for us and he has given us his very best. He's given us his son. We are in a series um, called Jesus is Greater and we're walking through as Brother Matt said through Hebrews chapter 11 and it is my intention for us to finish Hebrews 11 up today. Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary to China uh, in a days gone by and in the time that he was a a missionary. They did not fly to the mission field. They got on a ship and sailed to the mission field. And they didn't have engines on those ships except for the engine of sails that would blow through. And their story is told where he was on a ship headed to China and there was no wind whatsoever. And in fact, they were drifting towards an island that had hostile natives, was known for hostile natives. So they were very concerned as they were going along this Uh, path that they would not have the ability to avoid this island. And so um, the uh, captain who was not a believer knew that very much like almost like a Jonah situation knew that Hudson Taylor was a believer and said hey we want you would you please pray for wind. And Hudson Taylor told the captain I will pray for wind but if I'm going to pray for wind you better open the sails. And the, and the captain said, I don't want to open the sails because I'll be a laughingstock of opening the sails in the middle of a calm. And he says, well, if you want to open the wind, I'm not praying for, I'm not going to pray for it. So the guy said, okay, I'll do it. He opened the sails. He went, Hudson Taylor went to his quarters and began to pray. And a little bit later, there was a knock at the door and he said, Mr. Taylor, are you still praying? And he said, yes, I am praying for wind. He goes, well, you better stop praying because we've got more wind than we can handle. If you have the faith to pray for wind, have faith enough to open the sails. We have been in this um, study in Hebrews chapter 11, and the whole thing's about faith. And you say, well, I thought you'd be talking about Thanksgiving today. It's, it's the week before Thanksgiving. Why don't you talk about thanks? And, and I, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this particular passage because that's the next one in the, in the line that we're going with, right? But there is a connection between thanks and faith, right? When we thank God, we're saying, God, I believe that you, not me, you are the source of everything good that I have, Amen. right? And there's an aspect of faith in that, that God is our, that God is the source of all of that. And we're studying Hebrews chapter 11, and it's a, it's a passage that really has one single truth that's illustrated over and over again, um, it's been called the Hall of Faith because it just tells story after story. Uh, This preacher, this writer of Hebrews is talking to these people who know the Old Testament and he's walking through story after story, passage after passage, pointing to uh, the fact that these people who are Jewish, these people who know Christ as Savior, some who do and some who don't, are all of people who really are of faith. In fact, if you are to go back to, um verse chapter chapter number 10 where he kind of begins to the, the points of this theme he says verse 38 now the just shall live by what faith. faith but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure of him in him it's another quote then he says but we are not of them that draw back unto perdition hey Jewish people, you, you Hebrew people, we're not of people who draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul, right? And there here he introduces this idea of faith and how faith is, 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 is so important. In fact, he says um, down in verse six, Hebrews eleven six, six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he that, what does it say? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently, diligently seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. In fact, it's impossible to be saved without faith. We are not saved by works. We're not saved because we do a whole lot of good things. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And so he walks through this passage and just shows the superiority of faith, And that's what we've been talking about in this great chapter. We all put our faith for living in something. Some of us put our faith for living in our job. I can make it because I have a good job and I make enough money. Some people put faith in uh, our money or our possessions. Some people put faith in other people. You know, people will let you down. People will let you down. I, if you know me long enough, at some point I'm gonna let you down. I don't want to we're all gonna let each other down because we're not perfect. Some people have faith in science. Some people have faith in governments. And it's not necessarily wrong to put, our, put some faith in some of those things, but our ultimate faith, our most foundational faith must be in God. And there are some of you here today that, that you're here and you're very focused on winning you're very focused on I gotta I gotta win I gotta I gotta do more I gotta have success I gotta have money I gotta have possessions I gotta have um, I gotta be successful in the eyes of other people sometimes in a business way sometimes religiously whatever it is, and and I want to tell you this you are not the source of your success, you you are not the source of of the victory God is some of you are are really struggling today some of you one of the things I've learned being a pastor. Um, people tell you things that they don't necessarily tell everybody else. Sometimes people won't tell you stuff when you're a pastor. That happens too. But here's what I know, and I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. People are icebergs. There's a part of their life that you see, and there's a whole lot of their life that you don't see. And some of you look great on the outside. You've got your Sunday best on, you're here, but you've got stuff you're dealing with. You are suffering. And I want you to know that you need God and you need to have genuine faith in God in that suffering. Today, I wanna finish up this incredible chapter by challenging all of us to put genuine, authentic faith in God. Now, every week when I preach, I have a goal and my goal is um, to be clear. I wanna be clear. And And my goal is, that the point of this passage is the point of the sermon. And when I was writing, I tried to summarize the sermon in one sentence. And this week when I wrote this, what I call the objective statement, the sermon in a sentence, the first thing I wrote was this, we should place genuine faith in God because faith can bring these three results. But I want you to know that I changed it. Because faith alone doesn't bring the results. God brings the results. It matters what your faith is in. Do you get my point? We should put genuine faith in the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews, his dear son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God can bring three results that we see in this passage, and he brings it by faith. The first result is this. Number one, God can bring us victory. God can bring us victory. Now, I got some amens from over here. And I got some yawns from over here. So you guys are in the running for my favorite today. And you guys got some work to do, okay? No, God can bring us the victory. Isn't that awesome? When you get to this passage, the preacher, what I'm calling the preacher, we don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews is, but we do know that this preacher is telling some amazing things that happened in the lives of in the Old Testament. Um, And in the first section, verses 29 to 34, he enumerates all these amazing things that happened, uh, victories that were wrought about, successes that were wrought about by God and the people of God. He starts, and we read starting in verse 30, but I'm going to go back to verse 29. It says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Who remembers that story in the Old Testament? The people of God. God. God told Moses, "Hey, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go." And Moses went and did that. We we studied about Moses last week. Moses uh, rejected his identity. He rejected the power, and he he went today and said, "Let us go." And finally, Pharaoh let him go. Of course, God did all those plagues. All the plagues went against all the false Egyptian gods, and they were just done with them. They let them go, but then they started following them. They get to the Red Sea. They have the Egyptian army behind them. They have the Red Sea in front of them, and what do the people begin to do? They begin to complain. What are you doing? You're gonna kill us. Then what does God tell Moses to do to stretch out his staff over the Red Sea, and what did God do? He parted the Red Sea, and they walked through on dry land. That's what's talked about there in verse 29. They passed through the Red Sea as by... Dry land. But then what happened? They got to the other side. In verse 30, it says, and sorry, in verse 29, which the Egyptians are saying to do. They tried to get through the, wa- the dry ground too. And what did God do? He let the water return, and the Egyptian army was taken out by a bunch of slaves. Well, it wasn't the slaves that did it. Who did it? God did it. God brought them the victory. Isn't that amazing? He says in verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Who remembers that story? God, God um, get, told Moses, you're not going in. I'm going to give you a new leader, Joshua. Joshua brings the people in and God says, hey, you're going to take out this first, this first uh, city, but the way you're going to do it is you're going to do it by marching. You're going to do it by going around the city. Why would God tell him to do it? Because then at the end, when they yelled and the walls fell down, it became very evident. This wasn't Joshua's victory. This is one of the people of Israel's victory. Who brought the victory? Do you get the theme? Who's bringing the victory? God's doing it. Verse 31, I love this. By faith that harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. Rahab was a prostitute who lived literally on a wall, on the walls of Jericho, which fell down. And it says that she didn't perish with all the rest of the people in Jericho that believed not she believed when she had received the spies with peace. Joshua chapter 2 tells us about this. I'm going to I didn't go in the last two stories I didn't go back but on this one I'm going to go back. Look at Joshua chapter 2 verses 9 through 17. It's right here on this on the screen. And I, and I wanna point something out to you. This is, this is this pagan woman, this woman who is not Jewish. She, is of the, she was a Canaanite in the city of Jericho. And, and she tells this testimony, read this with me. Verse nine, and he said unto the men, I know that the, the Lord hath given you the land. She didn't say, she didn't say, I know you guys are big and bad and really strong and really smart. She said, you have something we don't have. You have the, the Lord. And that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the, the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you come out of Egypt and what you did with the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard of these things, our hearts did melt, Whether neither did there, there remain any more courage in any man because of you for the you're getting the theme. The Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray, swearing to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show me kindness in my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all they that have delivered our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life is our life for yours, if you utter not this, our business, it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we We'll deal kindly and truly with thee. If you go down to verse 17, it says, and the men said unto her, we will, not, we will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Rahab was not a woman who was known for her uprightness or her moral character. What was her profession? She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. This is not the lady leading the Bible study. Are you with me? But she was a woman of faith. She believed that the Lord was the victory for these people. And she goes, I know how to pick sides. The Lord is the real one in heaven and earth. I want to be on his side. So in Joshua 6, it says, it says, but Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out of the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out this, the woman, and all that she has and as ye swear by her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother. They did exactly what they said they would do. Matthew says this, Matthew chapter one, Matthew starts out, it's a, it's a gospel that's written with the Jews in mind. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter one, verse five. And Salmon begat Booz of, it says Rechab, right? Rachab, that's Rahab, okay? And Booz begat Obed of Ruth and Obed begat Jesse and Jesse begat David, the king. Who was David, the great, 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 great father of? Jesus came in David's line. There's a prostitute in Jesus' line. That'll excite somebody. I'm not gonna have you point out who you're, who's excited by that, right? But my point is, if you got it past, so did she. We're not justified by works. We could be forgiven of our works and we need forgiveness of our works. We're made right with God by faith, and faith is what brings us the victory. James 2.25 says this about Rahab. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Ben. You just told me I was justified by works. Our works justify our faith. That's the point when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way, what he's saying is she wasn't made right with God by her works, her, her works justified that she had faith. If you have faith, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, the old is gone, the new has come. Amazing, amazing thing. Her faith substantiated in the, was substantiated in the way she lived out her faith in the very little revelation that she had. What did God do? God sustained her instead of her dying and losing with the rest of Jericho, God brought her the victory. Look at the next verse 32. There's a change in pace. I told you to look, but look at me, ready? Here, here's what happened. Hebrew, in Hebrews 11, he's going through person by person, story by story, and he does what a lot of preachers do when they're preaching in they're middle of writing it's almost like he looked up at the time and he goes, oh man, if I keep going at this pace, we're going to be here. Hebrews is going to be twice as long. Now, I don't know if that's what he did, but look at what he, look at what, that was his motivated. But imagine that, a preacher deciding to shorten the sermon and say less. That's amazing. Verse 32, and what shall I more say? See the change of pace? For the time would fail me, to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Now, all of these names would have been familiar to the readers, but I I want you to see what what do all those guys have in common? Well, many of them were the judges that happened after Joshua, right? Before there were kings, there were judges. And you have Gideon. Gideon had a major victory. You remember that? How did Gideon get a victory? Did he have lots of men? Thousands of men showed up and God kept whittling down the number of men he needed. He just had 300 men. And the fight that they fought, you know how they fought? They fought with torches and pots. You catch a theme here? They keep having victory by walking around towns, by taking a torch and putting a, Pot over it and then breaking it. It said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and then the whole enemy just kills each other when they don't do it without hardly lifting up a finger. God is the one that gave them the victory. You have Barak. Barak worked for the Lord with Deborah to set to defeat Sisera and his armies in Judges four and five. We'll talk about Samson in a minute. It says Samson, he did a whole bunch in his life that wasn't honorable. He he was sexually promiscuous. He broke every part of the covenant that. God made him make the Nazarite vow that he had made. We'll talk about him in a minute. You have Jephthah. God used Jephthah to lead the Israelites to freedom from the 18 years of oppression they experienced. You can read about him in Judges 11 and 12. David's listed here among these men, and we know that he wasn't a judge, but he was a military warrior, and he had a heart of faith in God, but was was David perfect? David murdered a guy. David committed adultery. Are you getting a theme who, who brought David victory? David was a, a warrior, poet, king. He was used by God to protect his people and is in the line of the Messiah. None of these men were perfect. Show me how many of them were perfect. None of them. But look at what, how God used them. Verse 33. Look at this list. I love this list. Who through faith subdued kingdoms? Wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stop the mouths of lions. Anybody want to try that this afternoon? I don't think, I don't think so. Okay. Quench the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Here's the one I think certainly the author of Hebrews could have had Samson in mind when he said this. Out of weakness were made strong. Do you remember what happened to Samson? At the end of his life, he he had kept that value, had that long hair, and they cut his hair and poked out his eyes, and he asked God, "Give me God, give me strength one last time." And it says that he did more in killing the Philistines, the enemies, at the in his death, than he did his whole life. Was he strong, or was God strong? God gave him the victory. He waxed valiant in fight. It says that they waxed valiant, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Every one of these instances were not from people who had no need for God or saw their strength as exclusively in their physical abilities or military prowess. Certainly they were gifted and developed their gifts but to a person they learned that the battle belonged to the Lord. You remember David when he went to battle with Goliath? You remember what he told Goliath? Look at 1 Samuel, it says, uh, chapter number 17, starting in verse 45, it says, yeah, verse 43, it says. Actually, starting in verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. What does he say? But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, this day will the, who? The Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from, from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of, how cool is the Bible? I'm gonna take your head off and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give your carcass to the host of Philistines this day, the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give me into your hands. Does that sound like faith? This little kid (laughs) comes out and defeats it. Defeats Goliath and he knows it's not him. It is God. Don't believe this myth. With every one of these points, I'm going to give you a myth and I'm going to give you a truth. Here's a myth. Faith will make me a hero. Faith will make me a hero. Who's the hero in all these stories? God's the hero. The truth is God is always the hero. This is not a book exclusively about David, Jephthah, Barak. This is a a story about God. And it's through faith in God that we get the victory. And by the way, nothing's changed. The victory comes by God. These are the heroes of the faith for sure, but they're not truly heroic in and of themselves. God gave them the victory because he's the real hero of the story. Our true, genuine success in life is directly connected to our genuine faith in God who gives us the victory. He gives us everything richly to enjoy. Following God and having faith in God isn't just about having success, though, and victory. God has never promised that everything would be easy. You know that, right? Not everything is gonna be easy. So here's a second result that compels us to put our genuine faith in God. Who likes likes stories of victory in the Bible? Is your life always victorious? No. Sometimes there's suffering. Here's result number two. God gets gets us. God's the one who gets us through suffering. God's the one who gets us from suffering. The author seems to be talking about all these victories, and then he, he switches. It's like he turns, and he says, oh, and by the way, they didn't just have victory. What else did they have? Verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Remember, in the Old Testament, there's stories about that. There's a woman whose son died, and Elijah brought them back to life. Obviously, God's the one that did that. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted and slain with the sword. They, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This passage continues the list of actions that showed faith in the living God, but it wasn't just in victory, it was also when it was very, very difficult. This first statement's about those women who th- thought that their loved ones were dead, but through faith received them back to life. You, you think of the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17, and the woman of Shunem in 2 Kings 4, 34, who certainly qualify for these. The rest, ex- the rest explain people who placed their faith in God and were mistreated for it. Of course, we know that these people were, were sinners too. How did they get to the point where they were willing to endure such trials? It is the mercy and grace of God in their lives to which they responded. They believed God and he helped them live for him in such a critical way. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a false teaching out there and a lot of it's on TV that says, if you have faith in God, then everything's gonna go well for you. That God's desire for your life is to have health and wealth and prosperity. And if you don't have health and wealth and prosperity, then, then probably the problem is that you don't have enough faith. But the truth of the matter is this. Sometimes the people that have the most faith are the one that God allows to go through difficulty. Look at the list. Do you like this list? This is not a fun list. Tortures, mockings, scourgings, imprisonment, being stoned, being sawn asunder. You know what that means? If I were to explain it, this message would go to PG-13 levels. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered around being destitute. They they had nothing. They were afflicted. They were tormented. It talks about being homeless in mountains and dens and caves. Certainly the disciples that Jesus sent endured some of these things. It serves as an important apologetic for us today. These guys died They suffered because they said, we saw Jesus dead and then rise again, right? And and these men were notable before they met, they were not notable before they met Jesus. They had no reason to die for this falsifiable claim that they were making if it were not true. They claimed to have seen Jesus live an extraordinary, supernatural life and ministry, die a substitutionary death and resurrect from the dead. The hope of forgiveness of sins was their message and they suffered death and exile for this message. Their faith helps to assure our faith that Jesus Christ is in fact who he said he was. This is crucial. There's a phrase in this paragraph that kind of sticks out, this section that sticks out from the rest. It says in that parentheses, of whom the world is not worthy. Does that hit your heart a little bit. This seems to indicate that there was a level of honor the preacher's ready to give and believes that these people deserve based on not their works alone, but by their faith that they expressed in enduring these calamities. There's a myth that comes with this one too. A myth that we may be tempted to think, especially when we're going through something difficult. And that myth is this, faith in God means I'll never suffer. That is such a lie. It's a lie. Now, sometimes we suffer because we're stupid. Would anyone like to stand and give us an example? (laughs) No. Sometimes what I'm dealing with is because I sinned. Are you with me? But sometimes suffering comes because I've been faithful to God. Folks, there's coming a time in our country where we may have to be asked to do that. not fun. Will we be faithful when that time comes? I hope we will. Faith in God means not that I'll never suffer. Jesus promised his followers that they would suffer. John 16, says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. <laughs> it's just for a short time. If there is tribulation, it won't be for eternity. We've got a great retirement. Who's with me? Matthew 5.10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What do you mean? Happy, blessed, who are persecuted? Yeah, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, celebrate, party, and be exceeding glad. Why? Because when you're persecuted, you just need to know that great is your reward. Where? In heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Don't believe the myth that following Jesus means no suffering. Instead, rest in this truth. God is with us in the suffering. Amen. Who suffered more than Jesus? What did he say? Let your conversation be without covetousness. Thirteen Hebrews 13, 5 says, and be content with such things as you have, for he hath said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 28, 20 says, and lo behold, remember, listen up, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Adoniram Judson was one of the first missionaries to Burma, what we call now Myanmar. Arriving with his wife in 1812, Adoniram and Anne learned the language, and then Adoniram began his work of Bible translation. Here's a list of some of his suffering and his achievements. He wanted to do lots of personal evangelism, but decided instead to commit to translating the Bible for the long-term benefit of the yet-to-be-born Burmese church. His first convert came to faith in 1819. It took 12 years. It took 12 years to come to 18 converts. He completed the New Testament in 1823. He spent 20 months in prison in chains. In 1826, his wife died and their daughter died. He completed the Old Testament in 1835 and that year his second wife died. In 1849, he completed the Burmese English Dictionary and then he died in 1850. Here's some of his words. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could have not survived my accumulated sufferings. He said, there's no success without sacrifice. There is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has suffered before you. If you, success, if you sacrifice with success, without success, It is because someone will succeed after. When facing execution, he was asked what he thought about his future. And his reply was this. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Talk about faith. Sometimes our biggest successes in life, our biggest victories comes through times of suffering. We should place genuine faith in God because God can bring these three results. God brings us victory. God's with us in suffering. Here's the last one. God brings us, God alone brings us salvation. Look at verse 39. It says, and all these, and these all, all, who are you talking about? All the, the these all, all the people he's listed out from Abel From the creation of the world all the way down to these ones of whom the world is not worthy. All of them, having obtained a good report through works. Is that what it says? How they do it? By faith. Through God. Receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now let's take this phrase by phrase so you understand what he's saying. And these all, what is he, who is he talking about? Every one of the Old Testament saints and many, many more who were not mentioned. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, these people were not approved of God or commended by God to us because they were perfect. God was pleased with them because of their faith in him and the revelation from him that they had. What happened with them? They received not the promise. These people did not see the promise to them fully completed in their lifetime. One one commentator put it this way. Many of them never received the land, for instance. Sometimes they had earthly victory, sometimes they did not. Sometimes their faith saved them from death. Sometimes it brought them death. No matter, they knew that God had provided something better. That's what it says in verse 40. God having provided some better thing for us. Now we have the new covenant. Now we have Jesus Christ. It says this, that they without us should not be made perfect. It wasn't until Christ had come that any of them would have their salvation completed. Until Jesus Christ's atoning and redemptive death on the cross was complete, no salvation was complete. Their faith in God left them hopeful. That hope in God was completed in our time, the time of the church age, right? They look forward to God's salvation that was to be provided through what God would do. We look back. Redemption is history for us in a a way. Why? Because salvation was completed and offered because of what Christ had done. You remember what Christ said on the cross? Tetelestai, it is finished. No more has to be done for our sin to be forgiven. No more has to be done for our sin to be atoned. Christ completed that work. They looked forward to it by faith. We look back on it in faith. God has made salvation possible. And here's the good news. He offers that salvation to us. How? By Faith, by faith. It's with the heart that man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. Are you guys excited? That is so good. There's a myth out there, though, comes along with this one. And that myth is that faith itself is the ticket. That you can just do, you can have faith in just about anything and believe. The myth is that faith in anything is enough. My, my kids, we, we bought a, uh, it's like the 25th anniversary of the Prince of Egypt. That Remember that movie? Uh, I think they made it in the 90s or whatever. And there's a hit song in that, There will be miracles when you believe. You remember that song? And, like, it's not complete. There can be miracles when you believe in the God of the Bible. It's not just belief in anything, it's belief in the God who gave his son to die on the cross for us. God is a revealing God. And he's been revealing himself to us. He he created us. Who's excited about creation? He created us and he's revealed himself to us and he will redeem us. But how does that happen? It happens by faith. By faith in what? Faith in Christ alone for salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But by me. Faith in Christ alone brings salvation. Romans 10 says, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. You know that word ashamed. That verse is not saying, and although this is true, it's not saying that if you're a true believer, you won't be ashamed of Jesus. Or you should, who agrees if if you're a believer in Christ, you shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus. But, but that verse is not saying whosoever believeth in him won't be ashamed of Jesus like, oh no, I'm embarrassed to be a Christian. The idea of a shame there is that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, Christ won't let you down. Amen. What he promised to do, he's gonna do. Amen. When God writes a, a check, it always cashes. You ever have a check not cash? That happened to me one time, I did a funeral for somebody and they handed me a check and then Later on, I got charged for trying to cash the check. (laughs) It's like, you want your last check to bounce. Okay, that works out. Um, when, When God makes a promise, he always fulfills it. And so here's what I want you to know today. Simple message. Did you see it in the passage? God brings victory. God is with us through suffering. And if you Want to know for sure that heaven is your home, that your sins are forgiven, that you won't go to hell, but you go to heaven? Let's just make it as clear as possible. You have one shot. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in this church. It's not faith in your grandparents. It's faith in Christ alone. That's how you get saved. That's how you are born again born from above. That's how you have eternity forever. And if that is true, folks, we gotta be busy telling everybody we possibly can about what God has done for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?